0: to Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> Romans chapter 14, we're going to read verses 9 through 15. Again, let me say for the benefit, uh, one more time of our visitors. We've had uh, a number. The last few times that I have preached, and uh, I always hate for people to feel like they're walking in to a conversation that's already halfway done. We have uh, begun a series months ago on the subject of conscience, a clear conscience toward God and men, and uh, we are taking a small diversion while we're working on the conscience to talk about the matter of stumbling blocks. So that's our subject this morning. We are talking about stumbling blocks. I'll explain more about that in a a few minutes. But we have done an exposition of uh, about two-thirds of chapter 14 to give us the context of why we're saying what we're saying. And now we're making quite a number of extended applications. I often hear, uh, well, can you give me something a little more practical? I don't know how to get more practical than this. So I trust this will be helpful and encouraging to you. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 9. If you would please stand with me as we are in the presence of our great and holy God Let us fix our attention. Let's chase away every distraction. And let's give our hearts focus on the word of God. This is God's word. Verse 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another any more. But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, there's our focus. No man, no man, focus on this. That no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord that there is nothing unclean of itself. He's talking about food here, not anything that men think up to do. He's talking about food. Uh -uh. I know that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, that is, if he's grieved by what you eat, now walkest thou not charitably. In other words, you're not walking in love. If you know that that troubles your brother, to do it anyway is not love. Destroy not him with thy meat, with thy food, for whom Christ died. Amen. And again, for our visitors' sake, the issue that Paul is speaking into is Jews and Gentiles. The Jews believed that there were certain things that they could not eat that were unclean. The Gentiles didn't have any problem with that. And uh, the Gentiles looked down on the Jews and the Jews judged the Gentiles. That's the context. Now, we're taking Paul's admonition not to put a stumbling block In the way of a brother or another person. And that will be our focus this morning. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Almighty God. Our loving, our gracious, heavenly father. What a blessing. What a privilege it is to be in thy presence. With thy people. Thy great love. For thy church. Before the foundation of the world. And all of. Thy churches. Around this globe today. Should be shining forth. May the hearts of every. Regenerate soul on this planet. Shine forth. Shout forth. Sing forth. Pray forth. The glories of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May every heart be filled with adoration, love. And Lord, as I said a moment ago, may we chase away all distraction. Help us to keep our hearts and minds focused upon the word preached. This is thy word, Lord, not mine. And I pray with all of my heart that thou wouldst come by that glorious power, that efficacious power, that mighty power of the Holy Spirit. And open hearts, give light to our minds and help us to understand. Speak by thy word to the lost and draw them up out of darkness into the glorious light of Christ Jesus Help them to see their desperate need of a Savior. And that Jesus Christ, the crucified and resurrected Lord, is that Savior. And Father, I pray for thy dear children today. Oh, may our hearts, united by the Holy Spirit, shine forth the glorious love that thou hast set there In Christ Jesus. Oh may Christ dwell in our hearts. By faith today. And may our hearts grasp. That glorious breadth. And length and depth and height. Of the love of our almighty God. In our savior Jesus Christ. Now O God. Make thy power known. These are thy blood bought people. These are thy loved ones. And for those who do not know thee. Do not let them leave here untouched by thy power and by thy light. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, was deeply concerned about the Roman and Corinthian believers. They professed to understand and believe the faith once for all delivered to the saints. But the disunity between the Jews and Gentiles threatened to destroy God's work in Rome and Corinth. Satan is always about division. If you don't get that, you will never fight the spiritual warfare we're in successfully. He is always about dividing. Dividing marriages. Dividing friends. Dividing parents from their children and vice versa. Dividing members in the church from one another. From the the elders. Dividing. Division. This is what he's about. Look at your country and ask If you think this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The division. Is satanic. So. Matters of conscience lay at the heart of the controversies. There in Rome and Corinth. And at the heart of those controversies. Lay stumbling blocks. So Paul declares Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore, but judge this, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. The sacred scriptures have taught us that a stumbling block is something said or done in such a way that leads someone else to sin. Or at the very least, hinders their spiritual life. Stumbles them as they're attempting to follow after Christ. Now, some stumbling blocks are easy to recognize. For instance, when a believer tries to seduce another believer to commit a biblically defined sin. Now that happens. A good example of that is gossip. People walk in. They begin to gossip. Start talking about it. Instead of backing up and going, hold it. Why are you talking about them to me? We jump right in. Oh, really? Oh, I knew that's how they were. But as we have seen, even lawful, even... Lawful things can become a stumbling block. Who does it? How he does it? When he does it? And why he does it can make good things an occasion for someone else to stumble into sin. May the Holy Spirit always help us to remember. Jesus said, Whoso. Whoso or whoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, that is, whoever causes one of God's children to sin, one of Christ's children to sin, or hinders his walk with Christ, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Love on two legs said that. To cause a a child of God to sin gets Christ's lowest marks here. So, stumbling blocks are our subject. And the shocking tragedy is that stumbling blocks and stumbling others began in the first family. Adam and Eve set the stage for every domestic stumbling block in history. And every other stumbling block as well. It rose out of a domestic problem. And became the heartbeat of all domestic problems. So that began with a stumbling block in the Garden of Eden. Listen carefully she took the of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her there's the stumbling block eve didn't stop with taking a bite of the forbidden fruit she shared it with someone else and it was the only other person on the planet the whole world sinned in that moment the same sin She gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Those four words changed history forever. So we are presently considering the ways we might cause our family members to stumble, to fall into sin. The title of our message is Stumbling Your Family. This is part three. And may our loving and merciful Heavenly Father shower the blessings. And I mean shower the blessings of our prophet, priest, and King Jesus upon us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, holy dove. And may God's presence be powerfully in our midst. If this is just a show of the flesh, it will be a waste of time. So we have one main thought that we've been looking at for several weeks. In what ways can we stumble others? And we are talking about stumbling others in our family. You see in your outline, stumbling your spouse. In the last two messages, we considered that husbands can stumble their wives and that wives can stumble. Stumble their husbands. Each has been commanded by the living head of the church, Jesus Christ, to walk in a specific way, in a specific role, with a specific character. Not to do that is to live in rebellion against God. Husbands, love your wives. You ought to be caught in the act all the time. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Wives, submit yourselves into your own Husbands, These are the words of God. Your argument's not with Paul. Your argument is with the Creator. So, it's possible for husbands and wives who look at each other and say, I do with those starry eyes. And they're so happy to say, I do. And then from time to time over the years, they might be tempted to say, I, I don't. But... It doesn't have to be that way. And I do pray that all of our marriages here would grow and prosper and get sweeter by the year. So we must sit at Jesus' feet at, uh, as Martha's sister Mary did. Believing, experiencing, and growing in the self-denying, self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ. So we move on to talk about stumbling your children. <clears throat> uh, obviously, uh, a great deal more could be said about husbands and wives than what we simply covered last week, but we're simply wading into the water a little bit to make clear uh, that these things not only can happen they do happen. Often we don't even recognize that we're sinning against our spouse. <clears throat> and we need to become very sensitive to that. That is your partner to the celestial city. So today we're going to talk about stumbling your children. Stumbling your children. And I'm, I'm only taking four ways by which we do that. There's plenty of ways to do it. <clears throat> I I chose this assortment. Certainly uh, all of you will have maybe dozens more. But it's sad to say, Christian parents can stumble their children. Even the best of believing parents. Truly, mothers and fathers that are born of God's Holy Spirit cry out to the living Christ... To save and sanctify their children's souls. If you're not doing that. You yourself are probably lost. And would fall into hell with them. So it should be. Those precious little ones are God's image bearers. They are. Every child is a gift to you from God. And he says. Raise. Raise. It for me. Raise him, raise her for me. Not for your family tree, but for God's family tree. Nevertheless, while many professing parents feed, clothe, lodge, and educate their children's mortal bodies, They often neglect their children's immortal souls. This happens even in Christian homes. Now let us consider just a few of the ways that parents can stumble their children. Number one, you can stumble your children. You can make an occasion for their sinning and even pursuing sinning. By ignoring family worship, parents often expect their church and its elders and some other experts to bring up their children in the faith. That's a modern practice. The Word of God is clear. And ye fathers, everybody hear that? F A T H E R S. Fathers, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's your command. That's not a suggestion. The Lord isn't giving you an option. Oh, you know, you're a man. You're trying to find out who and what you are. Well, you can do some of these things. Maybe uh, you might even try uh, throwing father in the mix. No, that's your first calling at the house. Father. You're a husband or a father. Or you're a child that has one. A father. Might even have a husband. But without doubt, I don't want anybody to miss What I'm saying, because of the forcefulness with which I am saying it, without doubt, faithful mothers are included in the command to fathers. The text doesn't say that. It's obvious by the way a house is to function according to the word of God. You don't even have to find a Christian or a church to tell you that one of the things, one of the reasons that our our culture is disintegrating is because of the lack of men who understand what it means to be a father and a husband. And a faithful wife and a faithful mother are a father's greatest earthly help in the task that God has given him, the, the the standard American vision of it is that oh well I get married yes yeah, she's pretty uh, I I, I want to have some children with her she has the children now take care of them while I do the work and I'll just bring home the paycheck and that's really my whole deal when I come home the evenings about me resting from my tough day uh, that may be Hollywood that may be what you were brought up with. But that is not biblical. You fathers are to always be overseeing what's happening in your home. Now, there's a place for rest, don't misunderstand me. But very often, your wife has been dealing with your children all day long. It would not hurt for you to help her in the evening in various ways. Let's remember. She's not your slave. She is your queen. You are reigning together. When Solomon starts the Proverbs, he says, Make sure that you listen to the law of your father and your mother. And it's God's law. But God's infallible word has appointed fathers, To bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture means to train someone in accordance with proper rules and admonition. uh, uh, Proper rules of conduct and behavior. Nurture and admonition are, are two different things, but they work together. So it means to train someone in accordance with proper rules. That's just the general meaning of the word. For Christians, that means according to the word of God. Family traditions mean little to nothing if they are not grounded or in harmony with the word of God. So... To train someone in accordance with proper rules of conduct and behavior includes discipline and correction. Discipline and correction. So it means cultivating their minds. That child has been given to you. He has a mind that's an image bearer of God. And you are to cultivate That mind and the morals by which it operates. The filters by which it judges what is right and wrong. Scriptures tell us a child left to himself bringeth his mother shame. And that means mother and father. You let children follow their natural hearts. Their hearts are wicked. And they don't even understand the depths of the wickedness of their own hearts. It is the world that says, follow your heart. Listen to your heart, girl. Right? This is a lie from hell. And you need to understand that. I'm not not being dramatic here. The word of God says, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Now, are you going to listen to God on that? Or are you going to listen to Disney? Disney. You can see what Disney's giving you now. It means cultivating your, my, the minds and morals of your children according to the word of God. Help them to have categories of what is right and what is wrong from God. Now how do you do that? <laughs> Well, you do that by speaking and living God's word to them. This is not something you do just to give them over to the, quote, experts. You, if you profess to be a Christian, have the word, the living word of God. Sharp, powerful. That's to be the authority in your home. And fathers, you are to be the primary ones to administer that authority in your home. Your children should learn from you what God loves and what God hates. What God loves and what is an abomination to him. If you don't, the world will. And that, again, is one of the reasons congregations everywhere are rotten to the core. They've got more world in them than the Word of God. So I I want all of us to listen to our Baptist forebears in the introduction to our confession. Listen very carefully. This is... Older English, I'll try to move slowly through it so that the thoughts here can sink in. And verily, quote, and verily, there is one spring and cause of the decay of religion in our day. In other words, there's one fountain that they want to talk about. It's not the only fountain, but there's one that they want to address. And it's the decay of religion. When he says religion, when our fathers said religion, they meant Christianity. Not world religions. They meant Christianity. Now, this is in the 1600s. This is in the 1600s. And they're saying, man, the cause of decay of religion in our day. Which we cannot but touch upon. And earnestly urge a redress. That means a correction. a, A redress of. And that is the neglect of the worship of God in families. Now of all the things they could have said. It's the bartenders. Right? It's drunkenness. It's a whoredom. It's all, you know. They could have gone through all of that. He says... Here is a spring. Here is a fountain. Here's the source of so much of the decay in the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. The neglect of family worship. When I came here, there were Christians that had been professing Christians for decades. They had never heard of it. And that's the way it is for many in our day. Oh, that's something weird and new. No, it's something as old as healthy churches throughout the history of God's people. It is the neglect of the worship of God in families by those to whom the charge and conduct of them is committed. I'll repeat. It's the neglect of the worship of God... <clears throat> to by those to whom the charge and conduct of them is committed. Who's he talking about? If it's worship in families, it's got to be somebody in the family, right? And they know what the scriptures teach. It's fathers. Fathers. Now listen. It has been committed to you and you've been charged by God to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That doesn't mean let somebody else read out of the Bible to them once a week or twice a week. It means in your home, Christ is to be exalted. What is worship? We believe here in Bible-governed worship, not man's good ideas worship. Bible-governed worship is simple, and we, and we call it the regulative principle. We believe that worship should be regulated by the Word of God. God tells us how He wants to be worshipped. Singing, prayer, and the Word. Anybody can remember those. Singing, prayer, and the Word. And it doesn't have to be in that order. But the word of God, any father here, never been to seminary, can open up the word of God, can open up the gospel of John and say, children, this is God's word. Christ is set before us. We're going to ask the Lord to let us see in the scriptures that blessed person and just read him the chapter. And you can say, you know, I don't know everything that that means, but I'm going to keep learning. And when I run into some of those difficult moments, I'll call one of the pastors and say, okay, we were having family worship and we were a little hung up on this. Can you help us? Those are some of the sweetest moments I've had in my pastorate here. Sunday afternoon, phone rings. Somebody says, we're having family worship and we're disagreeing about what you said this morning. (laughs) Good, let's talk about it. All right, and we talk about it. Anybody can take a catechism and say, children, repeat after me until they know it. That's why catechisms were given. They understand that fathers don't have time to spend 15 hours a day studying the Word of God. Catechisms in the denomination to which you are uh, committed will have its beliefs set out. We believe, we confess what what we believe the Scriptures teach. And so you have all of these tools for hundreds of years and many more in the day in which we live. There are so many Bibles and books out there right now on on church, uh, on family worship. I've never seen so much in my entire life. There's no reason except neglect and willful resistance to do family worship. So back to our forebears, they said, may not the the gross ignorance and instability of many with the profaneness of others be justly charged upon their parents and masters, that means teachers, who have not trained them up in the way wherein they ought to walk when they were young we get that question i'm going to say this very gently but but i want to say it and i hope that you will think about it there are some fathers here who live in rebellion against leading their families in the worship of god and there is a day of judgment coming you need to think long and hard about the immortal souls of your children And what your neglect or rejection says to them. They ought to walk a particular way when they're young. But have neglected those frequent and solemn commands. Which the Lord hath laid upon them. So to catechize and instruct them. That their tender years might be seasoned with the knowledge of the truth of God as revealed in the Scriptures. I wish with all my heart that my Father had sat down with me once in my life and prayed for me. Never happened. Never read the Scriptures to me. I did hear about Jesus Christ and God, but it was always his taking their names in vain. Some of you children, some of you young people, you do not understand what a blessing it is that you have fathers that are serious about bringing you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You don't get it yet. Oh, you'll you you know the answer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Glad dad's doing that. But when you have been charged by God to care for the immortal soul, of other human beings you're going to have to sit back and think about the responsibility the lord has given you and you'll be thankful that your parents catechized you that you got essential essentially the doctrine of the scriptures laid out for you in the confession and you know essentially the structure of the word of god and the doctrine that it teaches of creation of god Of Jesus Christ the mediator. Of the law of God. Of the gospel of God. Of the Lord's day. Of biblical worship. All of that. It says those frequent and solemn commands which the Lord hath laid upon them. So to catechize and instruct them that their tender years might be seasoned. That's a beautiful statement. Seasoned with what? What? with the knowledge of the truth of God as revealed in the scriptures and also by their own omission of prayer and other duties of religion in their families together with the ill example of their loose conversation have inured them have inured their children to a neglect and then contempt of all piety and religion. See, if you're not teaching your children the truth of Almighty God, they're already launched in the wrong direction. They've got a heart that's going to resist it. They need to hear it from you. But they not only should hear it from you, they should then see it modeled by you. That's why many won't do it. Because they don't live like Christians. They don't intend to live like those fanatics. But they'll go to church. I'm a good church going guy. Hmm. Do you walk with Christ? Do you know what that means? Listen carefully. Our forebears said. Now we know this will not excuse the blindness or wickedness of any. In other words, every person is going to be responsible before God for their own sin. But there are people that can strongly contribute to our sinful choices. That's what they're saying right here. We will not excuse your children. You know, if, if, if they go to hell, it'll be because they're sinners who have not repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the reasons they may not is because their parents never taught them. And church was something you just dropped into and dropped out of. You went over there kind of like you go to public school. You go, you come back. You forget everything you heard. No transformation, no change. Just on with another day. That's the culture all of us came out of. And some of you may still be in it. It's a death trap. We know it will not excuse the blindness or the wickedness of any, but certainly it will fall heavy upon those that have thus been the occasion thereof. That stumbling block. Who has been in this, in this paragraph? Who is the one that puts the stumbling block before their children? Parents that will not bring them up according to the word of God. It says, they will die in their sins, but will not their blood be required of those under whose care they were? Every father here is responsible before God. He has spoken. He's told you what to do. You love to do it. Even if you fail at it, you love to do it. Or you reject it. Now, when you reject anything that the head of the church has commanded you to do. You need to start asking why. Yea. It says. Who yet permitted them to go on without warning. Yea. Led them into the paths of destruction. And will not the diligence of Christians. With respect to the discharge of these duties. In ages past. Rise up in judgment against and condemn many of those Who would be esteemed such now? In other words, let me put it to you this way. There's some vital points here. Uh, We don't have time to go over every sentence, but here's just a few points that we want to pick up. First, there was decay of Christianity at that time, just like there is today. Does it sound familiar? Decay of Christianity. Is anybody here not aware that Christianity is crumbling like a sandcastle in this nation? At least things that have a tag Christianity. God's people are still God's people. But many of them at best have. Have come to think so worldly it 's hard to distinguish them. Secondly, an uh, an important cause of that decay was the lack of family worship by those who were were responsible to practice it. Third, that neglect is disobedience to the plain teaching of scripture. Let me say that again. That neglect is disobedience to the plain teaching of scripture. By parents and teachers. Fourth. The neglect of prayer. Of reading the scriptures. And of singing to the Lord. Coupled with loose and worldly behavior. Hardens children in sin and unbelief. Fifth. Because of that hardening. The children will also neglect the truth and eventually hate truth. Some of the greatest enemies of the church throughout the ages, especially among the philosophers, were those who were brought up in nominal Christian homes. Sixth, unbelieving children will go to hell for their sins. But parents that have neglected their children's souls will answer to God for stumbling their children and stumbling them into hell. In some cases, such parents might prove themselves to be unregenerate and join their children in hell. We don't like to think about a day of judgment, but we are one day closer. One day closer. So, you can stumble your children and you can stumble generations of your descendants by not worshiping God in your home. One of the sweetest memories any of us ought to have on our deathbed, if that's the way we go, is remembering I had a dad that used to pray for me every night in family worship. I had a mom, whenever I was sick, she would sidle up close to me and she'd sing hymns and she would tell me to trust the Lord Jesus. What would your children say? Yeah, me and dad used to play a lot of games. Eternity is Forever. Well, number two, you can stumble your children by neglecting to discipline them. That's all part of the idea of bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You can stumble your children by neglecting to discipline them. Eli, who was a priest and judge in Israel, had two wicked sons. And they're called sons of Belial. That means they're worthless scoundrels. Now this is the priest's sons. They too were priests like their father. But they robbed the Israelites of their sacrifices. Threatening to take them by force. They also committed sexual immorality with women that gathered at the door of the tabernacle. And for those of you that, that notice there just seems to be an unending parade of famous preachers who are caught in sexual sin. Eli asked his sons, why do you why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. And he did nothing. A little bit of a tongue lashing, and that was it. Scripture tells us that blessed of God, loving discipline may save your child from hell. Why? Because discipline handled the right way makes them conscious that what they say and what they do has consequences. Why do you such things? I hear about this. This is really bad and nothing changed. He strongly warned them after that, but he did nothing. God would later slay both of them and then take Eli's life. King David has a sad story. <laughs> a very sad history. Of not disciplining his sons. He was a great king. A great leader. And he was a miserable father. He had more wives than he knew what to do with. But he still stole somebody else's. There were problems in that family. King David was guilty of not disciplining his sons and not protecting his daughter. Fathers, you have daughters. Boy, you ought to be protecting them. You better find out what that means. As soon as they get old enough for guys to start coming around like flies around, honey, you better know what you're looking for because you know what they're looking for. Amnon, David's firstborn, raped his half-sister. Tamar, after doing so, he had her thrown out of his house and locked out. It said he loved her, he loved her, he loved her. Then he got what he wanted and then it said he hated her more than he would loved her. That's not unusual for guys, by the way. I got to have you. Oh, I want you to be mine. You're not such a big deal after all. he violated, Amnon violated a king's virgin daughter and then cast her out like she was just a common harlot. David heard about it. It got to her father's ears. And the text says, when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. And that's it. He was angry, but he did Nothing. Maybe his conscience would not let him do anything. Because David himself had taken another man's wife, impregnated her, and had the woman's husband killed. You know, when we've got, if I can put it this way, when we've got piles of bodies behind us because of things that we've done, There's a trail of our sin and wickedness behind us. It's hard to open our mouths to tell people about how great Jesus is. Now, my friends, David, the great David, the giant killer. He took a woman and had her husband killed. So David's sin set off generations of sin in his children do you hear it stumbling blocks he made occasion he lived in such a way that his sons never felt like they were guilty or ever did anything bad they hey they were the king's son they got away with all kinds of stuff Tamar's reputation, listen, Tamar's reputation was destroyed because she could no longer wear the dress of a king's virgin. That was very important in in those days. All the virgin daughters of the king wore a particular garment. So you knew that was the king's virgin daughter. She could no longer wear that. And that might have made it difficult or even impossible for her to be married. Her brother Absalom just said, look, come live with me. That's the last we hear of her. David did nothing. If I've heard mothers complain about things from time to time, it's like, well, my husband comes home from work and, and the children need discipline. And he says, well, he's too tired. and He goes in and gets on the computer. Or something similar. Are you, are you connecting <laughs> to what God says here? You really need to. If you have children, you have immortal souls under your care. God has told you how to bring them up. You're doing that or you're not. Well, I fail at it a lot. Praise the Lord. Keep going. Well, it's hard. Yeah! Keep going. Well, you know, uh, my wife's got a bunch of degrees, and and she's smarter than I am, so it's like she should do it. No! (laughs) Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, or you, by default, put a stumbling block in front of them. They won't know what to be as men except maybe like what you do or what you don't do. You can make those precious little ones that that often give you so much joy fuel for the flames of hell. I don't say that lightly and I don't say it with any joy. But we can cause those precious children to perish. We don't want to do that. Not only of this. So uh, because of David. Tamar has been violated. uh, David didn't directly cause that. But when Amnon came to him. He'd say, I'm sick. I want my sister to come and fix food for me. He should have said, why? And then she got raped. And David did nothing. Well, Absalom, Tamar's brother, did something. He killed Amnon. He killed him. He murdered him in cold blood. Do you read the scriptures? (laughs) Does this sound like, is he making this stuff up? Do you read and believe the scriptures of God? It's, It's vital that you do. And your children need to know that you believe it. And that no matter how difficult it may be, you want to walk in it. That'll help grow them in the right direction. His poor daughter. Raped ashamed, stumbled. Now we read this about David's fourth son, Adonijah, and his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, "Uh, why hast thou done so? The scripture is telling us, he's telling us that David never said, why did you do that? Never troubled him. Never held that son accountable. And as soon as David got old enough, he went to Joab, he went to Abiathar. He gathered people around him and said, I'm going to be the king now. I will be the king. Absalom had tried to be the king. He turned most of Israel against David. David had to run for his life after his wicked adultery with Bathsheba. His family went to pieces. He was still a man after God's own heart. He was forgiven by God. But many Christians have the idea that if God forgives you for a particular sin, that there's no consequences for that sin. That is not the teaching of Scripture. And you see it right here with David. We have the most beautiful word of repentance in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Now, David never contradicted, nor did he hold Adonijah accountable for what he did. Let me tell you what the scripture says about dads who do that. It says, you hate them. You know, correct your children according to God's word. You hate them. You hate what God has given you. Paul House commentator says, quote, Good looks, Adonijah and Absalom were both really nice looking guys. Good looks and a favored status, king's son, coupled with parental indulgence, rarely builds strong character. David had character because of who and what he'd been as a shepherd and all the years he had to run for his life from Saul. He'd learned some things. And these guys have just been uh, waiting around for dad to die or at least to get wicked, uh, wicked, uh, weak enough to take over. Let me go a little further here. There's not one word of discipline to Amnon, not one. They're simply the spirit-inspired sentence. David never corrected him. That's it. You know, correct your children. You are helping them lunge hellward. There is not one word in in that uh, that's encouraging. Matthew Henry says beautifully, quote, It was the son's fault... That he was displeased at reproof. In other words, he didn't want to hear his father correct him. I mean, how many children want to? You know? But if, they ha- if they're ever born of God's spirit and they understand how much their parents love them, they can at least appreciate what their parents are attempting to do. It was the son's fault that he was displeased with reproof and took it for an affront or an insult whereby he lost the benefit of being corrected and it was the father's fault that because he saw it displeased him he did not reprove him and now he justly smarted for indulging him those who those who honor their sons more than god as those As those do who keep them not under good discipline. Thereby forfeit the honor they might expect from their sons. Well. Number three is you can stumble your children by being unjust in your commands and punishments. Looking at the time and knowing that it is the day of the Lord's Supper. We're going to stop here. We'll pick up at number three next time. We will also look, God willing, at number four. You can cause your children to stumble by your sinful anger. There's a proper anger. There's righteous indignation. But most of us are just sinful hotheads. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll talk about the destruction of anger. Now let me close Let me close with this. How, 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 (laughs) when we hear these negative things that I've said here today, how do we become moms and dads? How do we become the kind of people, the kind of Christians that we should be? We're to be a people that talk about love all the time, but the scripture itself tells you, (laughs) if you don't correct your children, you don't love them. You don't. You love you. Because it's something you don't really like to do or just don't want to do. So, what's our help here? Can't end without help. <laughs> and, and for those of you that, that perhaps are visiting here, I grew up the son of an alcoholic. I spent years in the rock and roll business, I didn't know anything about being a father. When God gave me children, I'm not somebody who grew up in the pastor's house, you know, was taught what was right from the beginning. My wife couldn't have got a more miserable excuse for a husband, and my children could not have had a more miserable excuse for a father. God taught me from His Word the things that you're hearing. So, we need some help here, right? Fathers and mothers must give their children, listen, must give their children a God-saturated, Christ-focused, word-informed household. I'll say it again. Moms and dads, you must give your children a certain worldview. You must give them a culture, an atmosphere in which they grow up. Now they're going to get one from the world. You better have one that's different. Fathers and mothers must give their children a God-saturated, Christ-focused, word-informed household. Give them a home. Give them a home that sings to Christ. Prays to Christ. Exalts Christ. Christ. Magnifies Christ. Loves Jesus Christ. Your children must see you loving Christ. In word and deed. Not just talking about it. Not just sitting in church. Giving a a chalk for well another sermon down. But hearing from God and obeying it. Your children must see you loving Christ. And if you don't and try to, (laughs) it won't be long before they figure out you're a phony. Because they'll be listening to what the pastor is saying and all of a sudden they're not seeing that at the house. Just different talk from dad. They must see you loving Christ both in word and in deed. So, how do husbands, wives, parents Learn about and grow in Christ's love. Well, we must seek Christ's face in prayer. It begins in prayer. It continues in prayer. It will end in prayer. Seek Christ. Then we must seek him in scripture by meditating on the word. Not just because, oh, well, I've got a Bible calendar, read my chapter, move on. You've got to learn to meditate in here and learn from what's being said and how it should apply to your daily life. We must commune with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in His beautiful love. Do you know what that means? Is that what you pursue? Do you know anything about the sweetness of prayer and having God teach you from the Word? Or is that just religious talk? Listen, the churches are in trouble. The country's in trouble. There's a great decay of religion. Now, Samuel Rutherford captured the idea For those of you that love Samuel Rutherford, uh -uh -uh. Samuel Rutherford captured the idea that I'm talking to you about. He said this, oh Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. Why did he want to come back and pray again the next day? Because he met with Christ. He came to the word and the Lord encouraged his heart. And it wasn't, oh, well, you know, Christians, oh, I'll go to church this Sunday. And he's probably going to say something about, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Right? This is it. Rutherford had it. The deep, sweet fount of love. The streams on earth, I've tasted. I've gotten a little of it. I've gotten just a bit of it. (laughs) The more deep I'll drink above. I'm going to go and drink from the ocean fullness. Men, be honest. How many of you can say, I drink of that fountain. If not, it's probably reflecting in how you're governing your home. And it's such a beautiful thing. It's not like, oh... Now I've been slapped on the hand. No. Your friend is telling you there's life with Christ. The world will do everything with your flesh to neglect it. Be honest. The streams on earth I've tasted, that is experiential, Holy Spirit wrought Christianity. The more that husbands, wives, and parents drink from that deep, sweet fountain of love in this world the more we can pour it out on our family. That's the point. Meditate. Meditate on the eternal son of God becoming a true man. Why did he do that? Because he loved you before the foundation of the world. And he came to do something you couldn't do. Meditate on Christ the God-man keeping the law that you have broken. Why did he do that? Because he loved you and wanted his righteousness to cloak you. To be your robe so that you could stand before God. Meditate on Christ the God-man dying on Calvary's cross. Why did he do that? Because he loved you and wanted all your sins washed away in his blood once and forever. Meditate on Christ the God-man rising again from the grave the third day. And why did he do that? Because he loved you. He conquered death for you. And wants you to rise again with him in glory. Meditate on him seated at the father's right hand. Seated on the right hand of the majesty on high. Why did he do that? Because he loves you and intercedes for you every moment of your existence. When you're not even thinking to pray... About you. He's interceding for you. Every day. Every moment. Every second. He knows everything that's coming. He knows how you're going to react. And he's going to be walking with you. If you're his child. And meditate on him coming again. He's coming back. I don't know when. And I'm not giving you any dates. Ever. I don't know when. But why is he going to come again? Why is he going to rend the heavens and come for us? Why did he do that? Because he loves us. And he wants you. He wants me with him for all eternity. He wants you to see him in his splendor. And his glory. So drink in that love. Dwell on that love. Meditate on that love until it grips your soul. Then love your wife. Reverence your husband. And bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So may Christ grant us the skillful love to avoid stumbling our spouses and our children. And when we do, may we be quick to confess it, repent of it, ask forgiveness of God and those that we've stumbled. Or they won't believe that you're real. You can't expect them To have some kind of a relationship with God. That you don't manifest yourself. May God teach us these things. That we might see his glory spread throughout this world. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven I thank thee for thy great goodness. I thank thee for thy wonderful kindness. Now Lord. We have heard from thy word. Lord, I hope that I can give account for how I have handled it. I pray, O God, for thy people, that we will think about these things earnestly. Talk about them with our spouses. Talk about them with our children. And, O God, now as we come to the Lord's Supper, may our hearts and minds be lifted up in praise, adoration, and true communion with thee. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We will take a short break and then we will have the Lord's Supper. God willing, for those of you...